0: Hello and welcome to Dialogue Firesides on November 15th, 2020 with Claudia Lopper-Bushman with her remarks today titled Resurrection Month. I'm Taylor Petrie conducting today on behalf of the Dialogue Foundation Board. Other board members Michael Austin and Rebecca Deschwinitz are also part of our group today. We're using our webinar format on Zoom and running a live stream on Facebook. And we're recording this program and we'll, repot- and we'll post the recording as soon as it's available. More than 50 years of dialogue content, articles, essays, poetry, and art is available online at dialoguejournal.com and also at JSTOR. These dialogue fireside, set- fireside sessions are posted on the Dialogue Journal YouTube channel and our podcast feed in your favorite podcast app and at dialoguejournal.com podcasts. If you're enjoying these sessions, please consider supporting Dialogue by subscription or donation. We will include the dialoguejournal.com address and a number that you can text in the chat for more information about donating. We're excited to host our second monthly Dialogue Fireside with our distinguished speaker. Claudia Lopper Bushman was born in Oakland, California and raised in San Francisco and considers herself a California Mormon, an independent variant of the Salt Lake City variety. She was un- unexpectedly given the opportunity of attending Wellesley College in Massachusetts, moving from the West to the East Coast. Her move facilitated meeting and marrying Richard Lyman Bushman, then serving a mission to the New England states before he returned to Harvard. Claudia graduated with a master's degree in American Literature at Brigham Young University and a PhD in American Studies at Boston University. The Bushmans have since collaborated on many projects, including a family of six children, 20 grandchildren and two and a half great-grandchildren. Claudia was named New York State's Mother of the Year in 2002. Always a Mormon feminist, she was the founding editor of Exponent 2 the editor of Mormon Sisters Women in Early Utah in 1976 and the co-editor of the first women's issue of Dialogue in 1971. Her other books include A Good Poor Man's Wife Being the Chronicle of, Harry, uh, of Harriet, Harriet Hanson Robinson and her family in the 19th century New England in 1979, America Discovers Columbus How an Italian Explorer Became an American Hero in 1992, In Old Virginia, Slavery, Farming and Society in the Antebellum Journal of John Walker in 2002 and Contemporary Mormonism, Latter-day Saints in Modern America in 2006 and several others that occurred to her and asked to be written. In New York where she has lived for 30 years, she taught American studies courses at Columbia University and worked on church projects such as producing a concert in Carnegie Hall installing a temporary statue of Joseph Smith in the financial district, annually managing a living nativity scene with real babies and producing the Manhattan temple Jubilee with a cast of 2,500 in radio city music hall. The Bushman's are now heavily involved in the center for Latter-day Saint arts. Claudia has agreed to hold time for questions and conversation after her remarks. For viewers on Zoom, there's a chat function by which you can comment, ask questions and propose answers. We ask that you be courteous and thoughtful in the chat. The chat room is recorded. We will follow the chat room and introduce questions and answers when appropriate. Our opening musical number is provided by Claudia's daughter-in-law, Harriet Bushman in Kuwait, who wrote this motet, Wait on the Lord for the Center for Latter-day Saint Arts Competition, Art in Uncertain Times, where it was one of the winners. The words are from the Psalms. Three of Claudia's sons and her daughter-in-law Harriet are among the singers. Our invocation will be offered by Richard Lyman Bushman, whom we've we've introduced already. And our benediction will be offered by Cheryl Bruno, who is a director uh, uh, of resident life in Forest Hills Retirement Community. She's also an independent Mormon historian living the good life in Monterey Bay area of California.
1: And use
2: okay. I need to to the music. Okay.
1: <laughs>
3: Father, we are thankful for this beautiful music to calm our souls, we're thankful for this occasion when we can learn and talk to each other, grateful for dialogue, and for the occasion it's been for exploration of our faith and of our lives and our times. We're grateful for all those who have worked on it over the years and their contribution to our intellectual culture. We pray tonight for your spirit to be with us, scattered as we are about the country and the world. We pray you'll bless Claudia to speak her mind and to tell us what she has in her heart at this moment. We're grateful for every blessing you have given us. Express our love to thee, our gratitude for our friendship. Pray that your spirit will accompany us in all ways. This we pray for in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.
2: I begin now, yes? I welcome this opportunity to say something about Easter commemorations. My title, however, does not include the E word, one I try to avoid for my purposes. Instead, I use the title Resurrection Month, two words which more clearly describe what I want to talk about today. We live in New York City and have been incarcerated, shut down, closed off, whatever, since March of this year, 2020. I had been about to begin a month-long commemoration in our New York City Latter-day Saint ward of this spring holiday, commonly known as Easter. I had a long series of wonderful Easter's while growing up in San Francisco. I loved the beautiful music of going to church with all its gorgeous flowers, our beautiful women in their smart hats. My own family's celebrations included the stylish outfits that my mother created annually for her four daughters, suits and coats and dresses, resulting from months of consideration and planning and my mother's spectacular skill. And there were also her wonderful Easter themed Easter cakes. And Let's see, where am I? Okay, yes, with... um, a uh, coconut dyed green to look like grass, bunches of flowers made of colored icing, little nests of jelly beans, uh, little mirrors that became ponds with ducks swimming on them. These cakes were also delicious to eat. These were wonderful Easters. These activities commemorated the coming of spring and were named after a fertility goddess for whom holiday events were celebrated in the spring back into antiquity. That Easter, now featuring bunnies, eggs and shikis, was the first traditional celebration in the spring. A celebration of the Passover from the Hebrew calendar was later layered on the spring tradition and many Jews commemorate their flight from Egypt and slavery with annual Seder feasts. The third and most recent chronological event added to the above two was the Last Supper, the suffering and the crucifixion of Jesus Christ that preceded the resurrection, which built according to the New Testament on the traditional Passover meal. Jesus gave it a new meaning, using it to prepare his disciples for his death. He identified the bread as his body and the wine as his blood, soon to be sacrificed and shed. For many of us, the Last Supper, celebrated by Jesus and his disciples, and the events that followed it, are the important events of the season. The early Christians also celebrated this meal to commemorate Jesus' death and subsequent resurrection, although the records are scanty, All of this goes way back into the unrecorded past, and I may well have some of it wrong but we now count our time from the birth of Jesus Christ, Anno Domini, in the year of our Lord, but that dating system was not even devised until 525 by Dionysius Exiguus of Scythia Minor, and was not widely used until after 800, when the Anglo-Saxon historian saint, the Venerable Bede, used the system in his ecclesiastical history of the English people, which he completed in AD 731. The venerable Bede, who first wrote specifically and historically of these events, notes in his Reckoning of Time that Eomasterosh or something, an old English word translated in Bede's time as Paschal month, was called after a goddess of theirs named Eostre or something in whose honor April feasts were celebrated. Bede is the source of the etymology of the word Easter, which is a movable feast computed from a lunar calendar and has a sliding date. It has come to be the first Sunday at the ecclesiastical full moon that occurs on or soonest after the 21st of March, a complicated computation. So that event was celebrated in 2020 on April 12th and will be on April 4th in 2021. The date of Easter was fixed by means of the local Jewish calendar, which seems to mean that Easter entered Christianity during its earliest Jewish period. In Latin and Greek, the Christian celebrated, celebration was and still is called Pasha a cognate of the Hebrew Pesach, the Jewish festival known as Passover. As early as halfway through the first century, Paul the Apostle, writing from Ephesus to the Christians in Corinth, applies the term to Christ. Well, the resurrection of Jesus, which Easter celebrates, perhaps the chief tenet of the Christian faith, establishes Jesus as the Son of God and is cited as proof that God will righteously judge the world. For those of us who are believers, death is swallowed up in victory. The followers of Jesus will also be resurrected and receive eternal salvation. Jewish Christians, the first to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, timed the observance in relation to Passover. The Christian festival of Pasha begins to appear in the early second century. But here we are, almost 2000 years later with an important event named for a fertility goddess. Here we are in a very Christian church that has come to almost ignore the events of the crucifixion and the resurrection. Much of this is a matter of timing Easter frequently gets in the way of general conference or our visiting high council speaker. It's also a function of program and expense. Music has been much downplayed in our congregations in recent years, as have floral displays. We have few images of the savior in our buildings and none in our chapels. But it's also a matter of emphasis. We accord the nativity a full month of our calendars. We have big events for Christmas. I love the nativity, but what is more important than significant? The birth or the death of Jesus Christ? I think that it is certainly the latter. I say that this situation is an example of Mormon optimism. We like good, positive things. We downplay the negative. We believe in the resurrection but pay little attention to the crucifixion. We believe in immortality, but not in death. We believe in the atonement, but not in original sin. I disapprove of these limitations. I think we are missing out on an important part of our Christian worship. One day, last year, I engaged our bishop and noted that I thought we should do better. He suggested that I write him a proposal, which I did. The next time I saw him, he said, I could call a committee and organize some commemorative activities. He said to keep him in the loop and just let him know how much it would cost. Well, that was back in November, just a year ago now. I called a Committee of Fervent and Imaginative Christians and we met many times to discuss possibilities and make plans. The Bishop came to most of our meetings. Easter came on April 12th this year So we decided to have our opening event, a musical concert on March 21st. Not quite a whole month, but a lot more than usual. We begin our nativity celebration with a concert on the first Saturday of December. That's a long-term tradition. So this was to be a parallel. Of course, General Conference came in the middle on Palm Sunday, a week before the big day. And of course, we share our building with two other very large congregations, soon to be three, which means that our access to the building is limited by time and date. And of course, our people are very busy. But we had three Sunday meetings. We had some evening and weekend possibilities. We could collaborate. We could do things off site. We took on assignments. We worked together. We tried to be practical. We did not want to be, to do too much, and we tried very hard not to. I was not looking for a big celebratory celebratory spectacle. What I wanted was serious, heartfelt sermons and moving music. After a couple of our meetings, the bishop agreed to fund whatever we came up with. We suggested, discussed, downsized, scheduled, rescheduled for a workable program. All of it would be available to everyone, but nobody but the committee was expected to do everything. Alas, it was not to be. Just weeks before our first big event, New York City went into lockdown, which it still mostly is. But I'm gonna take you through our planned program to give myself a chance to relive it and maybe to encourage you to do more for our important ecclesiastical events. I think we need to acknowledge the pain and sacrifice of our tradition as well as our triumphal moments. So what would we have done? Well, our first best idea was to do a one page, eight and a half by 11 inch calendar half of March, half of April, with boxed squares listing all of our events. We would give this calendar out at our first event and at all subsequent church events. That would be our schedule. And we added supplemental information on the calendar back. There we had dates, times, places for special services at some of the great New York churches, which do stage spectacular events. St. Bartholomew's Episcopal Church, Trinity Church, St. Patrick's Cathedral, St. John the Divine Cathedral, Riverside Church. We have some really wonderful churches in New York. We also listed the smaller neighborhood churches near our chapel. We listed museums with their special exhibitions and collections and added the Easter Parade, Macy's Flower Show and public Seder dinners. We listed significant cemeteries. I wrote up a little pledge that members might consider during the Paschal season. During this month, I will try to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Invite someone over to my house or to a church event. Attend some event at another church. Read the gospel scriptures about the crucifixion and resurrection. Consider my own life and future events. And for extra credit, I included, write my will and my own obituary, research an ancestor or visit a cemetery. Anyone who followed that would have a glorious resurrection month. I wanted a serious concert for our opening event. Despite the huge amount of talent that we have in our area, we have no standing word choir. We would need to draft one I thought that we might do a stripped down version of George Friedrich, of parts two and three of George Friedrich Handel's Messiah. Many of our good singers have performed it at some time. They're copies in most word music closets. The nativity parts are the most familiar, but it really is an Easter piece. We could get some of our excellent soloists to do notable arias, and our pickup choir could prepare maybe four or five We could do, behold the Lamb of God, surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And with his stripes we are healed, since by man came death. It really has a wonderful libretto, perfect for the occasion. We could also try and do all we like sheep have gone astray, but that's a little more difficult. We would finish up with Worthy is the Lamb that was slain, if we could manage it. And certainly the Hallelujah Chorus, uh, out of its proper sequence, but which is familiar and easy to sing. We'd hand out copies of this last piece and sing it two or three times through so that the congregation could join in and be part of things. We could have our young people Uh, read important scriptures, past scriptural passages, interspersed with the music. Maybe we could get the kids to memorize their scriptures. That concert with nice refreshments would make a wonderful kickoff. We had three Sundays for our services and I asked a committee member to plan each with talks and music. I wanted the primary to sing twice and the choir to reprise things from the concert. I strongly believe in wide participation, as well as in repeating music. Familiarity, I think, brings affection, not contempt. Again, I was not after spectacular effects, but serious efforts. Our second Sunday was a testimony meeting, but we could add some music and perhaps direct the testimonies to the theme. We couldn't use slides or films in sacrament meeting, but during the second hour, of that testimony meeting, we planned a slide presentation and discussion of the life of Jesus Christ in art and scripture. This was prepared by a young couple with lots of technical expertise and art knowledge. Palm Sunday, the Sunday preceding Easter and the Saturday preceding it were out as it was General Conference, but we had Easter Sunday itself with our best speakers and good music. Then we needed something for the whole family, a big kids event, still on theme. We settled on a historical reenactment, an evening in Jerusalem with food activities program. We thought of replaying the Last Supper, but portraying Jesus is forbidden. Although I do notice that he certainly makes appearances in church films. We decided on an abstract portrayal that stopped before violent events. We would give out little bags of money to buy food and little gifts from stalls. We would sample traditional foods. We would have speakers rush in to describe events that were going on off stage. We got the cultural hall space on a Friday evening by inviting in another board that had rights to the event at that time, rights to the building. The bishop agreed to fund a significant uh, number of projects lots of money for food, and even for a cardboard model of the tomb that little kids could go in and out of. It would have been a terrific party. Early on, we had discussed how we could put on a ward seder or invite our families to celebrate such events in their homes. But people on our committee were uneasy about introducing Jesus Christ to a traditional Jewish commemoration of the Exodus. And so we dismissed that idea. But thinking again, I think we might adapt the idea as telling a biblical story with accompanying food, games, scriptures, music, and ceremony. A Seder is a feast that includes drinking, reading, telling stories, eating special food, singing. We can do that. I could adapt the ideas and the form. Saders vary widely, neither the story nor the menu is set in stone. I could tell any story that I wanted to tell, substituting food and activities. I didn't come to this conclusion until recently, and I haven't written up any idea of how I would make a Christian ceremony for the event, but I would make it the life of Jesus Christ with 10 or 12 little scenes Such as the Nativity, young Jesus speaking with the learned men, raising Lazarus, Sermon on the Mount, walking on the water, healing a leper, uh, driving out the money changers, etc. 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 We could sing some of our traditional Jesus centered hymns Master, the tempest is raging, Jesus, the very thought of thee, I stand all amazed, come follow me as well as Christmas songs, Away in a Manger, What Child is This? Folk songs, Green Grow the Rushes, Primary songs, Jesus was once a little child, and so on and so on. We could introduce brief games. The Beatitudes would make a nice quick puzzle. We might act out the money changer scene, some good miracles. I like the idea of a word Seder, but thinking of the children, It couldn't be too long. Seders go on for a very long time, maybe an hour and a half tops for us. But we would need a nursery to take weary children to, one managed by people outside the ward with paid sitters. The event should be made attractive to young and older children. Traditional food is important in the seder. Again, we substitute imaginatively. At our event, we could Drink cider or grape juice instead of four cups of wine. We don't need matzo, horseradish, gefilde fish, or chicken soup. I would try the traditional seder favorite, charo set, a mixture of apples, pears, cinnamon, and walnuts. Everyone would like that. It's supposed to represent the mortar the Israelites used in brick making when they were in Egypt. I could give it another meaning. We could choose from other foods that might be associated with the scriptures, the Middle East or with Jesus himself. I don't want this to be too difficult or too expensive. My menu would include a fish entree. And just to be drastic, I would use canned tuna just Mm -hmm. to show how easy it could be. We could even have tuna sandwiches. Um, I just cannot get my head around a nice lamb roast for the occasion. I do not want to roast the pascal lamb. At some seders, they roast the pascal yam. Now that's OK. We can do that. Heavy loaves of good bread could be made in advance by the mothers and children. Bitter greens are served as satyrs, and such greens as arugula, watercress, even romaine, qualify, again with a dressing of wine, vinegar, and olive oil very mid-eastern, so we add a nice green salad. We could also have little sandwiches of the bread with honey butter or fig and pomegranate jam. A platter of olives, grapes, dates, maybe even fig newtons would be enjoyed. That'd be popular, and I would do a platter of deviled eggs as well for a little more protein. Such a meal a menu would be easy and inexpensive and still suitable and characteristic. I think that adapting and substituting is the way to go here. We could develop individual traditions of our own. I can imagine similar dinners commemorating the history of the gold plates and the travels of the pioneers. But back to our shortest New York commemoration, our aborted New York commemoration this year. On the Saturday before our Easter feast, we scheduled in several of our ward activities. We allowed the annual primary ward Easter egg hunt in Central Park. We added a special ward temple ceiling service in the afternoon and got permission to do a little special discussion with the group. We added in the early evening a tenebrae service in our chapel, the traditional three-hour Good Friday afternoon event commemorating when Jesus Christ was on the cross, where people gathered to wait out his flickering life. A committee member put together Latter-day Saint scriptures to be read interspersed with music and meditation. This service would feature some large candles, lead lights, of course, and that would be slowly extinguished one by one. With the savior gone, we would exit in the dark. That evening, we would attend the live broadcast of Handel's Messiah by the Tabernacle Choir in the chapel. It wouldn't begin until 9.30 Eastern Standard Time and does go on forever, but many of us would stay for the final amens. The next morning at seven, a limited number would gather on the roof of the apartment building next door to the chapel, which belongs to the church, for a sunrise service. Reservations were required for this because of space limitations. The sun was scheduled to rise at 6.15, but seven was as early as anyone would agree to come. <laughs> Instrumental music and acapella singing would take place. The chairman of that event asked me to speak at that service and I planned to speak on how the resurrected Jesus first appeared to a woman or to two women who did not recognize him when, until he spoke. I was going to talk about the ways that death and resurrection might have changed Jesus and how they might change mortals like us. His hair might have turned white, which would be the easiest reason why he was not recognized and identified immediately by people that knew him. But they heard his voice and they knew that which made me think that his voice and perhaps our voices may be lasting characteristics. He returned in the humble garb of the gardener rather than any grand robes, so much for heavenly clothing. Although resurrected, he retained the wounds in his body, evidence of his suffering and invited people to feel them as well as see them and so on. There's some scriptural clues from which we can imagine things. That sunrise service, would be followed by a festive breakfast in the building's lounge. Some might manage a short nap before our final sacrament service at noon. Our excellent ward organist, Dee Fletcher, would play wonderful arrangements of all the favorite Easter hymns, taking each final verse up a half step, as he likes to do. I have a low voice, as you can hear, but when Dee plays, I can sing soprano. We would have sermons that would bring tears to the eyes and resolve to the minds of our congregants. That Easter evening would conclude with attendance at an Easter music devotional in the chapel produced by our local New York, New York Stake and the young single adult stake who share our building. I think that's about enough good events to help us participate in and remember our preeminently important religious event. We hadn't gotten around to organizing field trips to the museums, gardens and uh, cemeteries as we planned to do which would have added richness to the occasion. And one of the events that I had favored got cut early, the workshop where we would draft our obituaries and write our wills, the things that should be done. We would have forms and examples and helpful experts and also a notary who could stamp our wills and make them official, but we can do that another time. So our grand program did not come off, but I still had the best Easter season I had ever had, thinking about the gift of life and promise for the future that we have been given, reading the old scriptures, reliving the life and times of our elder brother and great teacher, Meeting with brothers and sisters that I love and respect and listening to their ideas. I have great gratitude for all of that. And it may happen again. I have a few new ideas to explore. Easter will be earlier next year, April 4th. I expect that Sunday will be General Conference. It's now November. It's time to get started planning. And I say this in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.
0: Amen, Claudia. Thank you so much for that. We're, we're getting some comments in already, uh, talk, talking a little bit about your message, but I just want to uh, reiterate what we said at the top in case anybody missed it, that we are having a period here for some comments and questions. If you want to type in your comment in the chat bubble, uh uh on the uh, on zoom um rebecca and i will uh, be go- will be monitoring these as well as for our listeners on facebook we'll be monitoring that as well if you want to join in the conversation there too uh, let me just start by uh by uh telling you that yeah we, we've had a lot of people second your enthusiasm for uh for this i'll read a comment from uh bob reese Hallelujah. Many Latter-day Saints, including many converts from other Christian traditions, are disappointed, if not shocked, to find that we do not celebrate this, the most significant week in history. No Advent, Palm Sunday, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, especially disappointing to hold General Conference when it conflicts with Easter Sunday. It will conflict at least 20 times the rest of this century. What could we do to convince leaders that Easter should be given primacy over General Conference?
2: Was that a question to
4: me?
0: <laughs> I guess so. We'll we'll have you take a stab at it if you want.
4: <laughs> yeah, and maybe there's another approach to that question. Is also kind of what creative solutions do you have for those Sundays when we find ourselves um, kind of this tension between General Conference and Easter, or maybe not tension.
2: Well, of course, I think it's a, a legitimate thing because of April 6th is the organization of the church, and so. We can say that's another thing that we have have to do. But I really think we just should give some equal time. And I just, you know, these are just some of the ideas of things we could do. And these were mostly as a single congregation, as and as individuals. But I'd sure like to see us make more of the opportunities that we have. And um, you know, I think you could still manage some Easter along with General Conference.
1: that's
4: it. So one of our attendees is, uh, is asking t- for you to talk a little bit more about your desire to do an event focused on wills and obitu- obituaries. Um, is this part of your feeling that these are necessary or people not doing them? Um, what connections were you making between uh, that activity and the concept of a resurrection month of the Savior?
2: Well, writing wills and obituaries, particularly obituaries, is one of my things, and I haven't really necessarily uh, thought of it in uh, terms of uh, Easter in the past, but it does work very well. Certainly, this is a time to consider your life, and uh, you know the thing is, one um, one of the things I say is when we have a wedding, you know, it takes six months to plan all the clothes, food, places, and everything that you have to really plan a good wedding. But when there's a funeral, we have three days to do all the same kinds of things. And it would be a great thing if people had written their own obituaries so they could be just plugged in there instead of having someone else have to do it at the last minute. Also, um, it, you know, I, I just really like the idea of writing your own obituary. Davis Bitten did, did it for himself some time ago, and uh, that idea has always stayed with me. So um, I do various things with my Wellesley class, and uh, one of them is I try and get them to write obituaries, and uh, and (laughs) they think that's pretty grim, but um, I still think it's a good idea, and so it's just building out from from the basic thing to things that can be related.
4: So, so that's it. that seems to fit too with this um, kind of practical approach to Resurrection Month that you were also envisioning, right? Um, and I like this idea of maybe you pushing back against some of the eternal Mormon optimism and our, our discomfort with uh, facing death and thinking more about immortality and that, that this is part of that kind of offering <laughs> um, through activities for this uh, program, you're imagining.
2: Don't you think it is remarkable that we only look at optimistic things? Everything is good. Everything is wonderful. But you know, how does we really need the contrast? And besides, we just need to we need to recognize to and admit that such other things happen in our lives. So that's what I think about that. What else do you want to know?
0: <laughs> Got some interest in your obituary here. Do you want to give us a preview?
2: <laughs> well, actually, I have written mine, and um, but um, do I have to die, or would you like to see it beforehand? <laughs> <laughs> and maybe you should really save it for you know that. But see, I think it is so valuable to have those obituaries. Then you can print those. In the um, in the funeral program, which often you know, just trying to get those things together at the last minute is such a hard, big job. And um, I have an event in my family which um, which started me on this idea, which is that my grandmother was the first child by far of her mother, born when her mother was young, and um, uh, the mother later married again and had a large family, but this is after the first daughter. And when they put my grandmothers, her, my great-grandmother's obituary in the newspaper, they, uh, this, the second family had done all of this work and they left out my grandmother and it had caused a wound in my family my my family as opposed to that one that was never really resolved you know and it was just an oversight but oversights are things you can fix if you start in advance that's why one of the whys.
4: So i'm thinking about your our upcoming holidays right we're um... Thanksgiving is almost upon us. And many of us are finding ourselves, you know, we're having to adapt and substitute as you had been imagining doing for the Seder um, for one of your activities. Uh, I'm wondering uh, maybe how your preparation and then having to adapt and finding gratitude in the ways that you were able to celebrate um, Easter uh, are helping you to think about these upcoming holidays.
2: Well, of course, Thanksgiving is a very big one and it's on my mind at the moment. And I have um, I have a number of grandchildren. We have a number of grandchildren in New York City and it has been a tradition in our family that we have all the grandchildren and their partners if uh, they have partners over for Thanksgiving. And then the kids go out and um, get the Christmas tree, bring it home and we decorate it. That's our Thanksgiving, but You can see that's not too practical. For one thing, several of our um, grandchildren this year are going elsewhere, but at the moment we have three that would be able to come to our house for Thanksgiving. So then I had this all set up. We would have this, it'd just be five of us, but we would do it. But then we got an announcement from our landlord who is Columbia University that said, you're not supposed to have any strangers in your apartment, you've got to leave them out. So I began to think, well, we could have a Thanksgiving picnic outside, which thing is we have a park across the street, we could easily do. That would be kind of fun. And if it's a nice day, it's a great idea. Otherwise we can sneak them in, <laughs> which we might also do. But uh, I do think we have to always be thinking of how to adjust these events to our circumstances, because those circumstances changed. So we don't want to skip them. We don't want to forget them. We want to make something out of them.
0: You're inspiring the creativity, I think, of a lot of our uh, listeners today, who are who are excited about a lot of these ideas. Uh, one has noted that uh, that in our own tradition, Joseph Smith um, experienced several visions in the Kirtland Temple, and ho- during Holy Week, he washed the feet of other saints during that week. We have these these uh, traditions in our in our own history of creative rituals there that that we can uh, that we can repurpose. Um, one of the ideas that uh, people have looked at is uh, thinking about um, uh, you know, coming back to this idea of conference when, it's, when it happens on the same day as Easter, to note that there are breaks between conference and on the East Coast, it doesn't start until noon. There's, a, there's opportunities for potential uh, shorter services that could be held. Uh, again, I think people are, are being, trying to be creative here and, and think about um, other sorts of uh, ideas. Um, one other question that, that uh, people have asked here is uh, uh, how you would adapt the Elijah tradition of the Seder uh, in, in, uh, in an LDS context.
2: <laughs> well, good thinking. I'm glad everybody's moving in this direction. And I think you could certainly manage a sunrise service on the East Coast if, uh, you know, that works out pretty well. And, you know, that's a very appealing idea to a lot of people. But we can't figure out how to do it for a large group, but it would work very far for a smaller one. Now, I don't know, um, there are a lot of things that I just don't, I, I can't deal with Elijah yet. I haven't managed that. And I also don't know the four questions, what we would do about those. I mean, if we're adapting, we don't have to adapt everything. We can adapt something. so, but I would be very interested in anybody's ideas. You know, Let me know, send me a note. I would be very happy to, um, to consider other things you know I started from scratch with this what else could we do and and of course this is what our committee came up with and um, you, know, you think it's too much is that too much stuff or, or not enough or and how you know how literal do you want to be with everything it's just it's just many many millions of decisions to be made but you know we have that opportunity we just should do it, should do it. And I really welcomed that my bishop was open to this idea. He was just terrific. So I'm sure not everyone would be, you know, they'd say, well, that's not part of the church program. and We wouldn't get to do anything extra. But um, I'll, I'll mention another thing that I, um, that, um, that I did over Easter, which I really liked. You know these things, labyrinths or mazes, those great big circles where you go around and around and get into the center and round and round, go back. And they're done in shapes and designs and in gardens and so on. Well, um, I w- attended an Episcopal church in, um, in uh, Arizona where they had borrowed a huge maze labyrinth, a big round one. It was about 40 feet across was painted on canvas. They had borrowed it from a camp and they invited everybody that attended this service if they wanted to, to walk the maze, which you could do. And they suggested that you chant a mantra while you walk this maze. And so I did that and I really liked it. I really wish we could uh, paint a maze on the floor of our cultural hall or borrow a big piece of canvas and, and do that. And I think I just used this mind, and all shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. And it was just a great religious experience. But anyway, that's not everybody's style, but I liked it.
4: We have, we yeah. have folks on both Zoom and on Facebook asking if you could talk a little bit more about Jesus appearing first to women.
2: Well, of course, I'm never have any good at quoting specific scriptures, but is it Luke where he, where just one, well, we have two different versions. And one is that it's, um, let's say, uh, um first appeared to Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, says in one. And the other, it says just Mary Magdalene. And they, uh, they don't recognize him. And I just, they, they think he is the gardener. And I just think that's a very intriguing idea. What could we get from that? But um, that's really all I can say. But it is in the scriptures. I mean, we don't know whether it was one woman or one woman or two.
3: What about their women, not men?
2: And also, as my husband just pointed out, notice that it's to women and not men. This is one thing that women really have, that they were the first to see Jesus.
0: So somebody pointed this out and it's, it's happening in my community here in Kalamazoo as well is the performances of Lamb of God. Uh, and uh, I don't know how widespread that is but it's, it's interesting that it's happening in, in this other person's community in the Bay Area uh, also. And these are often interfaith collaborations uh, that, that our ward at least has been involved in. Um, what do you know about those? And, and uh, what, do, what do you think about those?
2: I don't know anything about that. I don't know Lamb of God. Who wrote that?
0: People who, who, who've who performed it would, would know if people want to maybe jump in here, but it's, uh, it's a big choral and, and orchestra performance, um, and I think that there are even some acted parts, if I if I remember correctly. I'm often out of town whenever they perform it here, so I, I haven't seen it, but all uh, it seems like all of our ward gets involved in it, and they perform it at a, one of the other churches in the area, and um, yeah, Rob Gardner, I guess. Is that the person that's uh, that's the composer? So Well, I
2: know we have several of uh, LDS um, cantatas or things that deal with the resurrection. Uh, but, you know, I'm an, a traditional snob. I just don't think you can beat Handel. <laughs> and uh, he's got wonderful, wonderful words. And I've sung some of those, but I don't like them as much as I like the others. But I'm I'm certainly willing, I'd love to hear all those things. I really should uh, go to all and listen to them. I think music is um, is uh, one of the best ways to get into the spirit.
4: So I loved you taking us through kind of your planning and some of the various things that you came up with. Uh, and I think it struck many of us just um, Kind of how diverse you were thinking about different types of activities and both things that were happening at the ward building as well as in other spaces that were um, kind of bringing in uh, other celebrations of this season. Some folks are asking about um, adapting this kind of programming to wards with lots of African or Southeast Asian immigrants uh, or to other um, countries. Um, Do you have any thoughts about that? And maybe kind of how you approached this, you know, in New York and and thinking about different ways to to bring in kind of LDS worship and belief with the larger um, celebrations happening.
2: Well, I certainly approve of that, and I think we should be doing it. We, um, it didn't come up particularly in uh, this congregation because we don't have that much extensive membership, and we were just trying from scratch to do something. But um, I certainly uh, favor this business where we show pictures of Christ in other traditions. And I don't know how... um, and I think um, I, I would be very comfortable with adapting Christian traditions that other that Native American or African American groups or others celebrate with their churches for our church. But um, I just haven't gone into that. That's the next chapter or you know, so but I think that's we just have to be sensitive to the people we're dealing with and able to to talk about these things in ways that are inclusive. So that's certainly um, been the art center business that we work on now, um, you know, it was very interesting in this art for uncertain times business. We had quite a bit of uh, third world. I don't know how I should even explain this, but other civilizations represented in different ways. we certainly, we have to go in that direction.
0: So. Claudia, as long as I've known you, you've been planning big events and having these grand ideas. Was there something about uh, this year? What, what made this year Easter as your focus? Uh, what, what were some of the things that sort of led to it being now? What, what was the inspiration?
2: Well, one of the things is that, um, you know, being a person of a certain age, I am no longer very uh, much involved in running the board and other things like that, and so I spend a lot of time thinking, what should we be doing that we're not doing? <laughs> and, uh, and then if nobody, uh, you know, nobody asks me to do it, I have to suggest it to somebody. Don't you think that we ought to? So, um, and of course, that's one of the most interesting things about the church to me is that we are in a position to do things that we are not told to do that we can see the need for and then we can work them out locally some of them are picked up nationally and so on but um, I really I really like projects and this was a very good project because it got me so deep into so much good stuff and uh, you know we just are not taking advantage and we just we really should be
4: doing it so it's all So we're get we're in a period where um that's really challenging. as one of our um folks watching on facebook notices um the pandemic is challenging our creativity and also making it hard to be able to or feel like we can plan um do you have any ideas on kind of how how we can be uh, creative um uh, expressing love, expressing our commitment to Christ at a distance, and on our own. And getting excited for the future.
2: Well, we can certainly do the scriptures. They are certainly doable. But I think, um, I, as a person that does projects, um, I believe in strategic retreat. That is, you make your plans, but then you can cut them down. Well, all right, we'll skip that part. Okay, we won't do that. We'll, we'll just do this. Or we can adapt that, you know. So you have your big idea and you try to build columns underneath it to make it stand and you can't do it. So you have to build another thing. and um, But um, you can always do something, I think. And I think that's uh, one of the best challenges. What can you do when you don't really have ideal circumstances. What if there's no money and no time and you can't get together, Well, What could you do? You do some things, various kinds of things. We won't go into, but uh, you know you can um, call ten people and say you're supposed to call ten people and wish them a happy Easter and have a gospel discussion or something like that. I mean, there's always something you can do in a limited way, and. Uh, certainly you often have to cut back your big plans as um, as we did for this you know we just eliminated most things but several of the things we had were sort of incorporated into these online sacrament meetings that we have and so on so and then there's always next time so with next time
4: always next time and one of the things that I actually love is that, um, so, so you brought up the question as you're thinking about kind of portraying the life of Christ and, um, and the ways that he maybe was changed by death and by resurrection, resurrection. And you brought out the wounds are still there. The voice is still there. Right. And some of these other things have changed. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking about you had this big program planned and it didn't go out as, as you had hoped. Um, other things got in the way. You incorporated some of that into some sacrament meetings. And now today you've told us about it. Uh, and so it's taken this other kind of direction <laughs> and is uplifting uh, your the Christian community, um, in a different way than you had imagined and um, originally. Good
2: for had. you, Rebecca. That's how you do it. <laughs> Re- revise, reinterpret, <laughs> rewrite, but don't lose it. Keep it going somehow.
0: So. Well, we'll maybe do uh, one or two other questions here. And I'm going to give the privilege of one of these questions to what, what seems to be a family member here. Uh, there's a Bushman last name in our chat. So I'll, uh, I'll assume that there's a relation. And the question is, uh, is, is, I think, a good one, but a little maybe a little off topic from our conversation today. But what does it mean for you to be a Mormon feminist?
2: Oh, we aren't talking about feminism. <laughs> Let's see, I don't even remember all my good feminist lines. But uh, what it means to me is that, um, is that women should speak out and they should be listened to. That, that's almost enough. And um, I, I just don't really know, the whole business of the real divine feminine and all that is complete question to me. I don't even know if there's the Mother in heaven. I said we have very limited evidence of any kind. I don't think there are any women up in heaven, so we may have to have a different place you know but but um uh, I just do like it when I see women taken seriously, which they are not always We're certainly used to being taken for granted and ignored and, shut up and (laughs) other kinds of things and that's not impossible we can live with that for a while but let's uh, use some of the great talent that women have
4: so speak up when you have a great idea for a program and make it happen (laughs) listen to
2: them (laughs) Uh, anyway i'll think about that talk about that later but anyway Well, isn't that about enough time? Haven't we used up everything so far? I I
1: think, go go ahead. ahead.
2: Well, I I think I've said everything I've got to say at this moment, but I'll have more later. (laughs) So anyway, I appreciate the opportunity to talk about these things, because I really, really do think this is an area where we could improve and we would improve to our benefit. We would all enjoy it more if we did more things like this.
0: I think there are a lot of people who agree with you and you've given I think a lot of people some courage and some inspiration for how to improve things and to just take it on and and take care of it and and produce something and and it's it's great to see how how you do this do these kinds of projects Claudia. Thank you so much for sharing them with us.
2: Thank you for asking me. Good night. We'll-
0: we'll conclude with a closing prayer from cheryl bruno we whom we introduced at the beginning but just a reminder she is an independent mormon historian from monterey bay california and we're very happy to have her offer our benediction tonight cheryl
5: thank you let us pray our father in heaven we're grateful that we could come together tonight as um a group of saints and um that dialogue can reach out to us in this way to help us come together as a community and to be able to think about um, religious topics. And we're grateful that we were able this evening to listen to Claudia Bushman, her lovely thoughts about Resurrection Week and how disappointing it was for her to see these plans uh, topple during the COVID season as we all have experienced these same things—weddings um, and graduations and so many events that we have not been able to participate in due to this uh, this disease. We ask that Thou will bless all of us who have had these disappointments. Help us to use Claudia's example of um, of changing and revising and. Um, and um, being creative to help us to learn how to live with these events in our lives and may we keep the resurrection in our minds and hearts that we might feel the love of Jesus Christ in in all of our lives and we say these things in his name Amen.
0: amen 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 Thank you, Cheryl and Richard, for our prayers tonight. Uh, Claudia, thank you so much for your time and, and your talents and for uh, sharing this wonderful message for with us. Rebecca, thank you for helping with uh, uh, managing all of the questions, and Michael for all of the work in um, doing the, the background technology and making all of this run smoothly. Uh, it's been a pleasure to sit with you all tonight.